Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. This podcast is focused on prioritizing development programs and pipelines that align with fundraising catalysts from the 2023 Chief Medical Officer Summit 360. For more information on the CMO Summit, editorials, podcasts, or webcasts, please visit cmo360.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. So um, I'm Bernard Ravina, I'm an EIR at Atlas. Nobody really knows what that means. Uh, but it means I help start companies, and my background is as a neurologist. Uh, and I spent the last decade really in small companies, really very much at the startup phase, uh, you know, within the first 10 people or so in the company. Um, so this is a, a really broad strategic topic, uh, one that is not solely the providence by any means of the CMO. Um, but uh, we're going to dive into it from the CMO perspective and kind of broaden it out from there. Now, like any good uh, pipeline, we've had a little bit of attrition. So one of our panelists, you may notice, uh, is missing. That is due to health and safety issues. Uh, he didn't want us to catch his cold. But we've got two wonderful panelists with very diverse experience uh, in both small and some of the largest companies. So why don't we start off with intros and then we'll dive in. Okay, thanks very much, Bernard, um, and many thanks to the conference organizers for inviting us to be here. Um, I'm Mustafa Noor. I'm Chief Medical Officer at Olatech Therapeutics. Uh, Olatech is a um, company based in New York City, and we're developing a, uh, a small molecule for anti-inflammatory indications. Great. Hi, everybody. I'm Albert Kim. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Cytel which is a technology and biometric service provider based here in Waltham, Massachusetts. Uh, I had their therapeutics development team, which is basically a multidisciplinary consultancy, clinical stats, uh, regulatory, ClinFarm. Uh, my, the other perspective I bring today is I spent quite a bit of time at two very large companies, Novartis and Pfizer. For the last five years at Pfizer, I was the clinical research head of the internal medicine research unit, which was the conglomerate of neuroscience and cardiovascular. Super, super. Uh, also, I want to make sure we leave time at the uh, end, five or ten minutes or so, and really get discussion going around this. Uh, as I mentioned, this is, this is a very broad strategic topic. So I want to just provide a little bit of a framework for the discussion here, which is we'll start off talking about how does the CMO really think about this? We spend a lot of time as CMOs thinking about probability of success, how to optimize that, uh, both scientifically, clinically, as well as how we're going to run the trials to show that. We'll start there, but work our way through. CMO uh, is certainly not the only person who gets a say in that. Lots of other voices and perspectives. So what are those other perspectives? Then how does that kind of conversation or decision making take place in the company? What's the framework? Or maybe there isn't a framework and it's a food fight. Uh, which is, uh, is very different depending upon the size of company that you're in and the nature of the company. And then we could talk a little bit about kind of the external environment, uh, the investor environment, other perspectives, and how that shapes it. But maybe we'll start off, both of you very experienced uh, drug developers, just you know, give us a little bit of background, how you've approached this issue of prioritization and how you think about it. Okay, so at Olatech, uh, we're developing uh, an oral um, anti-inflammatory drug that belongs in the NLRP3 and, uh, inflammasome inhibitor class. Um, so many of you are, it's a, it's a, 
a target that's highly sought after, and many of you, I'm sure, in the audience are well aware of it. But for those who may not be familiar with that target, um, uh, it uh, sits in the innate immunity. It is considered to be a, uh, a sensor uh, of danger in cell. Uh, so it's uh, activated by many different uh, stimuli, uh, pathogens, uh, as well as uh, endogenous dead cells. Um, and as a consequence of its activation, uh, interleukin-1 um, beta is released, and that sort of sets off the uh, inflammatory cascade. Um, so as you can imagine, uh, this is uh, um, uh, a, a, you know, a, a mechanism that has application in many, many different diseases. So the challenge for us in terms of um, prioritization was uh, where to go. Um, uh, inflammasome activation is implicated in um, uh, very broad diseases uh, ranging from oncology to, uh, 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 to cardiovascular disease, uh, from osteoarthritis uh, to uh, 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 neurodegenerative diseases and everything in between. So um, for us, I think uh, the, the, the prioritization challenges were, um, as I would call it, in, in sort of in, in, uh, Threefold. Uh, the first one was, do we go into a rare disease or do we go into a more prevalent disease? Uh, the second thing was um, the, the deciding what was feasible in terms of clinical development path forward. What is it feasible um, in terms of our ability to get to the next value inflection point um, and reach a, re a development milestone? And then finally, I think that the issue uh, for us was uh, whether or not, uh, you know, the indication, uh, how it would uh, resonate with a potential investor and uh, whether or not we would be successful in attracting uh, capital. Great. I'm going to speak from both the different hats that, that I've worn in the past 15 years or so. Starting with the most recent one, as uh, CMO at Cytel, we bring a team like the, just the, the most recent speaker was describing, it's a matrix team that complements yours. You, you guys have, what, there are 300 plus companies in the room. You have a certain team structure that has strengths and weaknesses. We bring a complementary team to help support you achieve your priorities. And in that cross-section, let's say last year we helped design 64 different trials. Um, we're seeing a ton of different interpretations of what Mustafa just said, right? Certain boards have certain priorities, whether there's one year left on the financial runway or they're trying to make a big scientific impact and everywhere in between. Sometimes the senior management has a different set of priorities saying, we need the fastest way to get the most impactful scientific endpoint to read out from our phase 1B trial. Um, some others are not as explicit at that as that and uh, sometimes have mixed priorities to, to bring to bear. And it's very interesting watching each one of these teams come and evolve their priorities as they see the blend of what they would like to achieve, what is statistically possible, and then what is operationally feasible. So there, there's a very big interplay. and. You know, it really kind of depends on the personalities of the leaders as they bring their priorities to bear on what their programs can do and then eventually choose to do. Um, wearing my former hat, some people think that you know, in big pharma, you get a deck of cards or a hand just given to you and say, you will play these. 
it, there's much more freedom than that. Um, certainly it's true that there are certain corporate th strategic themes that are handed, saying we will do X. Most recently, the COVID vaccine at, at Pfizer, we will do X. Right? <laughs> um, but in more normal times, there is a strategic focus and the both native in-house entering pipeline and external BD evaluations are done according to probabilities of technical regulatory reimbursement success and the various uh, triaging that gets done along those very specific probabilities. So I'll pause there. Great. So bo both of you uh, kind of emphasize the breadth of different inputs that you have to consider. So we just talk a little bit about like the CMO's role in driving that conversation uh, and what particular perspectives you know, CMOs tend to focus on uh, uh, and maybe not focus on. And I'll give you a little bit of, well, why don't you go first, Mustafa, and then I'll give you my <laughs> Well, sure. I think you, you correctly pointed out that the ultimate decision is obviously multiple uh, inputs uh, in CMO's input is one input. And, and the other point that Albert, you made that I liked was that you bring in as CMO, you bring in your own personality into it. So. Um, so I think that is really, in this case, at least in my experience, uh, how uh, we've approached it. Um, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, view it in terms of um, three things. Uh, judgment, uh, intuition, um, and the courage to make a decision. Uh, I think that uh, necessarily we all bring in our own uh, biases uh, into the judgment that we make. Um, uh, that biases or the judgment is shaped by our own experience. Um, I think in the case of CMO, it has to do with therapeutic area comfort um, or training in that particular uh, specialty. Um, obviously, it has to do with in our uh, level of experience and engagement uh, in um, certain disease areas that we've had uh, greater experience than others necessarily play into it. Um, I think intuition also uh, comes into it because uh, uh, certainly uh, the um, trans translation uh, or, 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 or uh, ability to um, see the, uh, uh, whether or not the data, the preclinical data, how it could translate into a particular therapeutic indication uh, in that level of intuition I think comes into it. And finally, I think it has to do with the, a decision. You have to make a decision and make a recommendation. Uh, I, I think in small companies, the non-physician board members are always looking uh, for advice to, um, that's more definitive in terms of a disease and potential of a target to treat that. So I think you know, those three elements, um, judgment, intuition, um, and the courage to make a decision or what has worked for me in this experience. I think you said you were going to lend your perspective. No. I want you to go first. <laughs> well, there, there's certainly no single right answer. I think Masafa summarized it really well. Um, I think one of the hidden behind the curtains secret sauce to, to the most successful biotechs, even if their data don't read out the right way, right way is, is building team rapport and trust. Um, we heard it from All Nylum CEO, the, the unwritten prescription for how you build 
a high-performing team is something that is not, not prescriptive, and it's up to each personality. Uh, so CMOs bring that. Um, the, the human factor, the emotional intelligence to be able to bond with your particular teammates and bring out their strengths and put them into positions to succeed is something that underlies a, a lot of very sensational um, breakthroughs that have happened in the last uh, you know, couple decades. Awesome. So just re reflecting, I guess I was in the CMO role for about nine years, so I had a lot of these conversations and it went through different kind of market cycles where we felt, you know, more or less uh, uh, blessed with resources. Uh, and I just think, you know, as in the CMO seat, there were uh, tended to be a real uh, bias on my own part, uh, for better or for worse, but I tended to advocate based on uh, what I believe was really the mechanistic rationale, the clinical rationale, and uh, spending lots of time, as I think we all do as CMOs, with your operations team, the feasibility. Because in the end of the day, it's your job to deliver. Um, and obviously other people, I think, tend to bring, you know, do a similar thing and, and, and argue these things from their discipline, whether it's your commercial team and value creation uh, uh, or the CEO kind of bringing board and external perspectives. Um, but I have found, um, you know, th those are the things I weighed most heavily uh, and often to the exclusion of other information too. So uh, I guess maybe one of the questions for you guys then is, you both pointed out, you've got all these perspectives. People are bringing their, you know, this integrity, bravery, bias, whatever you want to call it, it's a point of view. How do you see these decisions actually go? And Albert, maybe a specific question for you. Very different domains. How do you put these things in quantitative frameworks? Or is it more just, you know, whoever's left standing at the end of the day? Well, the truth is there's a little both of those things going on, right? You, you can quantitate as much as you want, and most of us tend to be from scientific backgrounds, so we like data, and we like making data-driven decisions. My current company has, happens to be a, a specialist in how to do that, um, rooted in innovative designs uh, from an adaptive trial design standpoint or a Bayesian probability standpoint. That, that's our thing. But to answer the question more directly, how do you, uh, CMOs were the great integrators. We're supposed to take all the science, um, all the personalities, uh, and all the agendas and somehow magically make peace for them uh, doesn't doesn't work. And sometimes you need to be the psychiatrist for your team as well to keep morale up. So um, I think it's definitely a person, personal judgment call. I think uh, a safe approach is building um, a very transparent plan where you know where you have data and you know where you don't. And being completely honest with yourself and with your team about that is a, a first building block. And then actively seeking out how to get data to inform your next decisions is something that I think is a very safe kind of roadmap uh, to take on risk. Because inevitably there's risk in early development space. It is the, the art of making decisions with incomplete data, right? So knowing and being honest with yourself about where that data exists and where you need to get it to make your next risky decision to inform your next investment time point, 
that, that can be complicated. Uh, and then bring your team along for the ride with your incredible personality and, and uh, soft skills as well. <laughs> so, so in our example, uh, I mean, we obviously didn't get to that level of quantitative sophistication, but the decisions that uh, we made were largely uh, informed. Uh, uh, so the first decision had to do with, do you go into a chronic disease or a prevalent disease or a rare disease? Uh, that decision was driven um, primarily by what the safety, as you alluded to, Albert, uh, dictated. And given that uh, a lot of uh, in, uh, companies that are pursuing this indication are going into rare diseases, but ultimately uh, want to be in a uh, prevalent disease, uh, we felt, uh, as a CMO, I felt that uh, we had the safety uh, data uh, to go directly into a more prevalent disease. Um, so then the second question was if we're going to go into a prevalent disease, what is it that we can do and achieve in terms of our clinical development with the resources or the limited resources that we had? Um, so here we um, took the cue from what had already been validated. Um, uh, we knew that um, uh, the biologics uh, uh, monoclonal antibody, uh, canakinumab in this case, uh, directed against the uh, interleukin-1 beta, uh, was already um, proven to be a real therapeutic in gout, um, uh, approved uh, for that indication in Europe um, for gout. Uh, and we felt that uh, this uh, largely de-risked uh, this indication for us. Um, with the advantage that we had, given the mechanism of NLRP3 being upstream to the interleukin-1 that we uh, potentially had the, um, uh, at least a mechanistic uh, uh, benefit of not uh, inducing um, uh, immunosuppression. So we chose to go into gout um, knowing that the path of development is relatively short uh, in, uh, in that it was uh, relatively de-risked for us in terms of both regulatory endpoints being well-established, but also a therapeutic already being approved in that uh, pathway. Great, great. So we, we've talked about this from kind of the, uh, you know, the company perspective, the within the domain of, of what's in our control to think about and move forward. But I want to take the other perspective, which is the external view. Talk about that. You know, they always say this, like when a, a new president is inaugurated, like they come in with their agenda, but it's going to be world events that that shape what they really do, and it's kind of true in drug development too. So, right, of course, it depends on what kind of company you are. Asset driven company? Are you a platform company? Those shape your choices. But a lot of the times, it's just attrition in the pipeline progress, how fast that goes, and then external takes, competitive environment, investor uh, take, that really shapes it. And so you can actually argue like, the, you know, the world makes the choice for us and we end up dealing with it. Um, but how, how, do you guys, how do you guys think about that and incorporating those external perspectives and the kind of realities on the ground? I'll take a first swing. Um, I'm going to go back to the comment I just made. You have to know what you don't know, right, and, and plan for volatility. Uh, that is the new normal. Right. And w one approach that we take with our, our current clients 
universally is saying, look, you come in with your assumptions and your best aspirations, let's plan around the upside and the downside. And we do something called simulation guided trial design to help visualize what might happen if instead of the 25% you know, PFS improvement that you, you're banking on, you actually only get 10%. Or you knock it out of the park, you get 50%. Um, what do those scenarios look like so that you can take it into the next phase? Uh, Ken Getz this morning was talking about three big chunks where our community can optimize, like planning, design, execution, and then completion, right? Well, I'm a big believer in measure twice, cut once, and sometimes you have to measure a thousand times so you can cut once and then go forward with exactly the right plan or at least prepared for the contingencies that will inevitably happen. You can't predict what's gonna happen, but you can be prepared for it. So that external world is super important, but you, you also have to realize you, you don't have to know everything. You just have, to have maybe a plan in place for what happens when you know, the tornado hits. Um, a couple of things. I think that um, if you consider a board member uh, somewhat of an external um, influence um, at, at, in very small companies, uh, usually a, a, a board member who happens to be a senior physician with a lot of um, prior experience in industry particularly exerts um, perhaps uh, you know a greater level of influence in terms of shaping the um, prioritization and uh, ultimate choice of a certain uh, indication to pursue um, but um, also I think equally relevant is that um, as you alluded to, the, the um, um, uh, indication du jour, if you will, uh, where there tends to be a, a, lot, a little bit of a herd mentality um, pursuing the same indication. Uh, in this space, uh, specifically uh, rare disease and caps in uh, MFM are indications that almost everybody uh, is pursuing uh, who's in it. Um, so, um, I think some of it has to do with the investor's choice, but we felt that in our case, uh, we had to make a case uh, that uh, gout, even though it doesn't sound terribly sexy <laughs> indication, uh, that there is indeed uh, a uh, um, commercial opportunity that would be attractive to investors. Uh, and it just happens that uh, recently there have been some uh, new products uh, that have been um, uh, brought into the market um, uh, for gout that uh, command uh, premium pricing. So in our case, uh, we did have a point of reference um, uh, to validate the commercial opportunity. Yeah. You, you both raised some really great points about kind of how to, how to go about these conversations and strategically how to, how to drive them. So. Uh, you know, I love the idea of like as much as you can build models, quantitate and take, you know, take the subjectivity out knowing like it's like any other model, there's subjectivity built in, <laughs> but like it, it, it's good. That way everybody can kind of be in a similar decision-making framework uh, and understand the same data. And then I think a, a great tip too in terms of incorporating uh, and as much as possible, bringing a board member in or board members in to understand the CMO just, uh, kind of perspective prior to or outside of board meetings, right? 
so make sure your CEO knows about that conversation. It's the other pro tip. Um, but the, uh, so the related kind of staying on the external facing themes is let's go, I think Mustafa, you mentioned it, a little bit of a herd mentality, a little bit of groupthink that you would see on the investor side where indications or modalities can fall in and out or favor. And the CMO to some degree gets this, is the face of the conviction about a path forward. So uh, maybe just talk about that, like your experiences doing that. It's, yeah, I think, you know, John Mariganori touched upon this point too, certainly. A lot of conviction over time to build a platform like that. But Yes, I mean, I love this quote that uh, he, he pointed out that uh, you, you have to really be unreasonable. Uh, to some extent, uh, I think that is true, um, um, uh, but you know, it's it's a little bit easier to say it after 20 years um, than it is when you're actually in the in the thick of things. Um, but uh, ultimately, yes, I mean, I think as uh, uh, translational scientists, that's exactly what I see us doing here. Um, you have to build that uh, case, uh, and you have to build the best case that you truly believe in. And, and I think that, it, it, again, coming back to this example that I come again and again is that um, a lot of it had to do with my own personal level of comfort connecting the dots. Uh, I think if you were there, um, uh, Bernard, perhaps you would have made a different choice, and that's perfectly fine, and that's what makes us unique as Albert pointed out early on, that you bring in your own personality into it, and that's, I think, part and parcel of what we do. So we got one ding, so uh, how about we take some questions? Welcome. Yeah, please step up to the mic. Uh, I'm Simi, Simi Khan from Chief Medical Officer from uh, Riata Pharmaceuticals. So, um, I mean, I completely agree, like in making decisions for any compound for the prioritizing your indications, biologic fit, and any additional information on safety of efficacy is helpful in understanding the competitive landscape. But have you been discussing lately, or anybody else from the audience, regarding the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act in the long term, few years from now? I mean, people have been developing expertise, but it seems like that nobody really knows what's going to happen eventually. I can take a first crack at that. I think um, it's not really here yet, so nobody really knows, but everybody's worried about it. I can tell you from our client base, we've heard about it a lot. Um, our client base, our board, our owners, everybody's worried about the effects of the, the, or the potential effects of the Inflation Reduction Act. Everything about the duration of intellectual property to the potential evidence you'd need to bring for pricing for such a future asset. There's a lot of speculation. And I think the truth, and please feel free to challenge me, anybody in the audience is nobody really knows. But you can plan for certain probabilities and eventualities. Like we've heard a lot of things about how CMS will almost require a competitive landscape assessment and a health technologies type assessment for economic pricing uh, decisions and um, bringing an evidence base that is appropriate for the competitive landscape at the time for patient options. So there's one topic, that's not an answer, that's a topic that people will worry about. And you know, it, it's up to 
the people in this room, are you only going to develop biologics now? Are small molecules really dead? I mean, that's a, that's a discussion point. So it is on everybody's horizon, but um, I'm not going to pretend at least to know the answers to all the implications that are there. Uh, that's a, a totally consistent with what I've seen, which is that that's going to leave a mark potentially, but we don't really know how to work around it or what it means. Um, but yeah, it comes up in every conversation. Uh, I think there are a couple other questions. So, Jan Moore, I'm a chief medical officer of Omega Therapeutics. Um, 22 years in the industry, third time CMO. I, I want to bring a different, a bit of a different angle. Um, as CMOs, we're, we're, we are very expensive, sometimes more expensive than the CEO. So in most cases, in my experience, the decision to hire a CMO is being deferred until you have no choice anymore. You're six months before the IND, suddenly you realize, whoa, I don't know what I'm doing, and, and you want to bring that CMO. By the time that you join as a CMO, the decision about the indication, study design, um, everything basically, was not only communicated between the executive leadership team, the CEO and the board, it's already been told to the market if you're public. And they're already expecting you, and everybody knows you're going to non-small cell. While you look at the mechanism of action, you're thinking, shit, I should take it to, I don't know, Colangio. <laughs> so, so we're, you know, we're, we're sort of playing with prioritizing here development programs. So we're, we, if we're lucky, again, we get to prioritize program two and three. But not program one. Well, uh, no, you, your points are well yeah. taken, and thank you for mentioning that. Um, uh, yes, there's this element of time, but I think the time to negotiate that is before you take the job. Uh, to do your due diligence, make sure you really buy into it, agree with the science and the directions before you actually sign up. It took me uh, two rolls to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's when you were more expensive than the CEO. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I'll just say, I, I thank you for not dropping the F-bomb at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you came close, I saw. But yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that there are, there are some more and less elegant ways to pivot strategic direction, too. And you can make it data-driven. But yeah, that's a conundrum. It, and it, there are many rescue studies that, that are out there exactly because people in this room have lived that life. It's a, it's a great point. Uh, we are out of time. I think that was an entertaining point to end on. Thank you. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the CMO Summit 360, editorials, podcasts, or webcasts, please visit cmo360.org. Thanks for listening.